Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Uh, it's Brian Nemhauser, and we are back for uh, Real Hawk Talk. We we took a week off last week. Uh, we took the buy off because we follow the circadian rhythms of the uh, the Seahawks uh, as as we should. Um, and we've got a great show tonight. Uh, we've got the the whole gang as we we uh, often do. We've got Evan Hill. Welcome back, Evan. Good to be back. I'm glad football. I've missed football the past week and a half. I know, right? It doesn't feel like there's anything to pay attention to uh, outside of Seattle um, when the Seahawks are playing. So, um, and and cheers to you, I, uh, Evan's gonna be down in a bottle of wine um, for your entertainment pleasure. A very fancy fifteen dollar bottle of wine, and we're gonna start off this podcast with a wine take. Any wine over twenty dollars, actually, any wine over nineteen ninety is not worth it. There's a- there's a golden of wine. Can you show the label again? It is a redhead of wine from Columbia Valley. Where's the Fitz? I see Ryan Patrick. What do you mean, Fitz? Like Ryan Fitzpatrick would be a, a much better bearded wine for you to potentially consider. Next um, time. Next time. No. Okay. Um, and then uh, we've got. We've got Nathan Ernst uh, uh, at Nathan E11 joining us from his uh, his soundproofed cave. Um, good to see you, dude. Yeah, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Um, and uh, real Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons uh, on Twitter. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it was weird watching the games this week without the Seahawks on. It just felt I felt bored. Yeah. Do you know how much football I watched this weekend? Nothing. I watched it all. No. Watched it all. How, how much? <laughs> I watched nothing. I didn't watch any football, and I didn't miss it. I, I, I wrote an article. I, like, you know, I did. I lived my life. Uh, football wasn't part of it. So you, you watched football, Jeff. What did you watch? Um. During the early games, I tried to flip around to look at the, kind of the teams the Seahawks are kind of battling with, Philadelphia, Carolina. Uh, I watched some of the AFC, but I came out of there. I was flipping around. The, the first set, I know I haven't tweeted, I was pretty dull. It just felt off. A lot of the games were bad, either blowouts or just shit games. And the Philadelphia-Carolina game I got into at the end because – I kind of predicted Philly would take a step back this year, and I was kind of 
rather than my friend who's a big Eagles fan because I said they wouldn't be good this year, and he freaked out at me. But I came out of there a little more encouraged about the Seahawks. Maybe it's just recency bias because of that game with Oakland. But, yeah, the Rams and the Saints are definitely a level ahead. But I don't know. Like, in that next group where the Seahawks are at the bottom now, they're, I think, the seventh seed. I came out of there thinking they look pretty decent. Like, we're going to see in this next stretch with all these quarterbacks they're playing. But maybe the last couple games, the last three of the last four games, they've looked better than most of these other teams that they've played, that they're kind of competing with. And I came out of there kind of encouraged. Uh, maybe it's recency bias, but that's a new thing for me this year because after the first two weeks, I was ready for a bottom five finish and ready to tank the season. So yeah, maybe I'm riding a pure emotional high and pure recency bias, but I'm currently encouraged. We'll see if that changes next week. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're so I mean, on the show tonight. We're gonna have uh, Rob Staten, who uh, is uh, in London. It'll be like four in the morning for him, or some crazy thing like that. Had him on the show before. It's been a nice. Uh, Rob does a great job on CX Draft Blog, um, and had the benefit of being able to cover the Seahawks when they were in London and and talk to talk to folks on the team. So it'd be good to kind of get a, a feel for, for what he learned in those conversations. But I think part of that discussion is going to be how good is this team? I, I think I'd be interested in getting into that with Rob and, and where everyone's heads at. Um, so we'll cover that. Um, you know, we're definitely going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, uh, what we think is going to happen over these next four games. This is a pretty, Pivotal four-game stretch for the Seahawks uh, with the quality opponents they're going to be facing. I think we're going to know a lot about this team um, in, in these four games. We'll talk about that. Um, and then, you know, I, th I think it's time to talk about Frank Clark, too. We've talked about him a little bit, but, um, you know, the guy had two and a half sacks. He he is he's in the news a lot right now, and um, I think it's worth spending some time talking about him. So... Lots to talk about, um, but before we even get to all that, uh, we have not been on the air since Paul Allen passed away, and, and um, love to give each of you guys a chance to, to kind of share any thoughts you've got um, about that, and uh, enough time has passed. I think it's also appropriate to talk about, you know, what this means for the Seahawks franchise. Um, so, uh, Evan, I don't know if you uh, want to kick us off. Um, thoughts when you know when you heard the news and, and what you've been reflecting on since since that time? Yeah, obviously there's a million things you can say about Paul Allen, and 99% of them are positive, in my opinion. Um, but there's two things that really stick out to me. Number one, obviously saved the Seahawks from relocating back in the day. This was like I'm pretty sure before I was even born. So thank you, Paul Allen, for letting me you know, grow up a Seahawks fan, you know, he's obviously done so much for the city of Seattle and, and honestly the world as a whole. Um, but the one, the one thing I do want to touch upon is when you think of billionaires and really rich people, you typically don't associate the gratitude, the generosity, you know, the humility that Paul Allen had with those types of extremely rich individuals. And I think Paul Allen really set the bar for, not just rich people, but just people in general, in terms of his generosity with his time, you know, wealth, resources, all that stuff. He's, I think, somebody we can really admire and look up to. So whoever is filling his spot, whether it's his sister or, you know, Vulcan Inc. or whatever, just continuing to um, chair CenturyLink and the Seahawks, um, they have some big shoes to fill. So Paul Allen, thank you for everything. Uh, you, mean, you meant a lot to the city. 
Nathan, uh, where are you at on the the Paul Allen stuff and the the news? Where'd your head go? Yeah, it's you know it's always sad. Um, he was you know still relatively pretty young, and so that's always a bummer. And um, he has done a ton for the city, but it's kind of a weird one too, where um, I didn't really think about Paul Allen a whole lot. Um, he was a really and this was, I think, a great thing about him as an owner is that he was really hands-off. Um, you know, he would show up and raise the, the 12th man flag during a championship game. But, you know, a lot of the time we weren't thinking about Paul on or talking about Paul on. And I think that's a credit to him as an NFL owner. But now that he's passed um, with a couple of days or, you know, a little while passing by, it's kind of hard to remember that he really is gone because it didn't really seem like he was here all that much either, at least for just random fans. Um so it's a weird one. Um, and then you have to wonder, you know, kind of what happens with the team. Obviously, that's kind of a secondary thing, but he did save them from moving once. I don't think that's too big of a risk, although it was kind of terrifying when NFL owners started piping up with, well, I could never see the team moving from Seattle. Like, yeah, why would you even say that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's sad. Um, he really did do a lot of great stuff. And so it's it's really too bad. Jeff, how about you? Uh, see, I'm not from Seattle, so I don't know the impl- like the extent of how much Paul Allen affected the community. I, I've seen it from what I've read, and I was really touched by just a lot of the stuff I read and I saw. Obviously, I was really one of my favorite memories of the Seahawks was the 2005 championship game when Paul Allen did raise the flag, and just seeing you could see the crowd. You, I wasn't there; I, you can just feel it on TV. That game where they just smoked Carolina. It's one of my favorite sports memories. I that game was I think the first time any of the teams I've ever cheered for has ever made the championship in any sport. So that game really was emotional. And Nathan brings up a good point. You don't hear a lot about the owner, but one of the first lessons I learned just from covering sports and talking to people who've been around sports is a franchise is only as good as their owner. And you look at the worst franchises in any sport, the Redskins and how inept and like the New York Knicks are or the New York Mets and ownership is so important. Look what the Patriots did after Robert Kraft and having stable ownership is so important. And the one thing fans don't really understand is a lot of times like a Jerry Jones tried to convince them to draft Johnny Manziel over Zach Martin and people have to step in. And there's just so many examples of how ownership can just dictate so much of a franchise. And what Paul did is he really gave autonomy to guys like Mike Holmgren and it, which wasn't always the best, but he got guys like Mike Holmgren, and he was the one with Lewicki who got Pete Carroll out of USC and realized Jim Moore wasn't working out after one year. And a lot of guys would have saw that through, and maybe because they were, you had say, a cheaper owner say, oh, we're paying this guy. I don't want to pay someone else. They were stuck with a, a lesser coach. So having a guy like Allen who was just so hands-off and really let people do their jobs is a very rare thing in sports, and it's going to be hard to replace. But, yeah, just I remember I did a story – when I was still working in media on Pete Carroll and John Schneider in the Super Bowl year. And I got a chance to talk to one of the Lywickies who was the one who hired those guys. And Todd wouldn't stop raving about how good Paul Allen was and how unique he was as an owner compared to he's bounced around so many different sports organizations and sports leagues. And just talked about how rare Paul was because he really had strong values and strong message of what, and just a guy like him is so hard to replace. I know people are getting worried about the team leaving Seattle. I work in estate planning. I would have to imagine that Paul's estate had something that would block any sale for someone who would move the team. I would have to imagine that. I don't know the exact information, but 
I don't think that's a concern, but obviously who replaces him is going to be a massive story surrounding this team and how they view John Schneider and Pete Carroll going forward. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up some of the aspects that I don't think the average fan might realize where, where he an owner does have an impact. Like you mentioned the Jim Mora decision. So the Seahawks owed Jim Mora like a boatload of cash. He got paid a bunch. And after one year, they uh, the recommendation came back to get rid of him. And he a lot of owners would have hung on to him. We would have had another couple of years. Maybe Pete Carroll goes and coaches somewhere else instead of Seattle, and we never even have a Super Bowl here. All that stuff's totally possible. After they make the Percy Harvin deal and sign him to a big contract and trade all these picks for him, a lot of owners would not let you jettison that guy, even if he ha is having fights in the locker room and causing problems. Like, you know, on and on and on. Um, there's definitely places where Paul Allen stood out and was able to partially because um, of, you know, the wealth that he had allowed him to, to do things that maybe other owners would, would uh, hesitate at. But I also, I think I'm the only Blazers fan uh, on the podcast here. And so, uh, yeah, Evan, it's, you can talk about your fantasy team. Um, I'm going to talk about a real team for a second. Um, so uh, Paul Allen was a very different owner for the Blazers. And if you talk to people in Portland, they have a very different opinion of, of Paul Allen as an owner because he absolutely meddled in every single part of the way that franchise was run from the GM to the coach to the draft. Like he was very involved with the draft. Um, you know, he had to approve every pick. Uh, you know, he loved draft day. He would buy second round picks for pure cash because the NBA works differently. And, um, you know, he just loved that. And um, yeah, it's, it, I think there's a lot of really interesting conversation that, that probably, you know, most folks don't want to spend a lot of time hearing about so we won't get into it here but i think there is conversation to be had just socially about what's appropriate you know a billionaire giving away you know a certain fraction of his wealth is that enough i think it's fine to have that conversation and just talk about social responsibility i can just speak from my own personal point of view that paul allen you know he touched my life in a lot of ways that um you know uh, I will always appreciate uh, whether it's investing and in keeping the Seahawks in Seattle. I was alive when those moving trucks were packed and, and the Seahawks were headed to LA. That was a done deal. And I was following that as a kid down in Oregon. And it was a hope and a prayer that something would turn around. And, and he came in and, and actually was, was that and um, invested my blazers and he spent all the money that he could to make that team as good as possible and um he wanted them to win that's what he cared about he invested in cinerama which i mean even that is you know it's a great part of seattle and seeing seeing the movies there and um invested in the arts my sister's a professor at uw um in microbiology and she's gotten grants from him for for you know scientific research i mean the guy just he invested deeply in things that I personally care about as well. So um, I'm super grateful for everything he did. And um, as I wrote on Twitter, the nice thing is I know he knows that people were appreciative. Like he, he, he was, he was aware enough of, of, of what was going on that that was great. So it's going to be, it's going to be hard to see him move on or sorry, hard to move on without him as an owner. But um, 
I am really interested in, in just the mechanics. I don't think any of us have the answers of like, is this going to affect a, a Frank Clark renegotiation? Who's going to approve spending X amount of guaranteed millions on Frank Clark, you know, without Paul Allen in place? Those are, those are questions. I don't know if you guys have answers to, but I, I think those are essentially right now, um, you know, uh, it's hard to know where the organization has control over those decisions. So uh, I'm not surprised to see that Rob has not joined yet. Um, he might be sleeping still. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna start by just talking through uh, uh, you know transitioning into to what happened on the field. Um, London was amazing. So I highly recommend folks to get the chance to take that trip. Um, you know, go all around, uh, you know, Paris, Amsterdam, wherever you want to go. It was, it was awesome. And Seahawks fans, guys, it was a lot like the Super Bowl in New York in 2013. Like, semi-neutral semi field, Seahawks fans everywhere, and they just dominated from pretty much the opening snap. I'm curious, like, when we talked last, um, I was pretty confident about them blowing out the team. I think you guys were feeling a little bit more pessimistic that it was going to be a closer game than it should. How did you feel on the other side of it? Uh, Nathan, maybe we'll start with you. Yeah, I got thrown off the scent a bit by the way Oakland played against Cleveland the week before. I mean, I think they largely played poorly, but they ended up putting 40 plus points on what I thought and what maybe still is a pretty good defense. I'm not really sure where the Browns are right now. Um, and then they were rated really well by uh, football outsiders and passing offense, which again probably should have probably should have known on that one that you know don't be too worried about a Derek Carr offense. But I mean, on the other side of it, it they that that was it, it wasn't the biggest point differential I've ever seen, obviously. But I mean, that was one of the better ass kickings you're gonna see. I mean, that that Raider team at no point felt like it was going to do anything. It was kind of similar to the the Dallas game, but even more dominant, I think. And I, I, I don't know. I thought that – I think Oakland probably did not handle the trip well um, just by how poorly they showed up. Um, I thought that might have been a factor for Seattle too, and that was kind of what I thought maybe would cause it to be a closer game. But, I mean, they just – they had their way with Oakland, and Oakland had – had nothing, no answers, and really looked like they probably packed it in pretty early in that game. So it was uh, we we've been talking about wanting a nice, relaxing game for a while, and I think we got it for sure. Jeff, how about you? Uh, I was still a little spurned by the game plan of that Arizona game, so I was just expecting the worst because of how dumb that game plan was from the coaching staff, and I just was so worried that they were going to do that again and just try to play them close and hope they screw up, but I was wrong. I was wrong. They dominated the line of scrimmage, and I don't think any of us expected that pass rush performance based on what they had been the previous five games, but you saw what having a Tom Cable line looked like. We've been seeing it for years, and <laughs> Frank Clark and Jaron Reed and Brandon Jackson and those guys just did what other teams have been doing in Seattle all these years, and we thought Tom Cable was bad. He might be worse than we even thought based on how the Seattle line's playing. And really the one thing I wanted to see was to see that what we saw in the Rams game, especially offensively, carry over. I was just worried it was kind of a fluke. It was an outlier. They were just motivated for a division game and how they've stepped up. And they looked like they looked on off offense 
and they got better quarterback play and the receivers were getting Doug Baldwin looked better. And basically they looked like the team we kind of expected to see offensively in the preseason. And they've kind of three of the last four games, they've looked consistently up front. They've looked like they've had a running game. The play action game is going. Russell's playing like the guy we thought he would play. And yeah, they just smoked them. And it was refreshing as hell to see. And I'm happy I was completely wrong about it. Evan, uh, first thing I have to ask you about this game is, is who started at right tackle for the Seahawks? You're going to regret this so much. I want to make sure I pronounce his name correctly because I owe it to him. <laughs> yeah, get Will ready. It's Jermaine. Oh if Fetty? Oh. Did I get it? I think so. Do we actually know if that's how you say his name? I mean, that's how everyone says it, but is that, like, right? We we do know that. Okay. Uh, I heard him correct, or, or uh, he was asked that on his, one of his rookie season interviews. And, uh, well, Mr. Ife- oh, Mr. Ifetti, every game you do not false start or have a holding call and you continue this amazing play, I will continue in honor of you to pronounce your name correctly on the Hot Blogger podcast. I know that's super important to you, but I promise to uphold that tradition. <laughs> so now that we've gotten that out of the way, uh, I mean – one thing was the the, the Raiders' deep, uh, offensive line getting trashed by the Seahawks. Um, Evan, how did you feel about the Seahawks' offensive line and and how the offense looked in general? I have three words for you, Brian, and this may be because of the line, but fuck Tom Cable, Brian. I don't want to hear any BS argument from you for the rest of my life saying how Tom Cable was not the death of the Seahawks. B.S. This game was therapeutic. This game showed you why Tom Cable single-handedly prevented the Seahawks from winning a second Super Bowl, and if not more. I never want to hear that B.S. argument again. Tom Cable is trash. John Schneider, I love you, but when you said John Schneider or Tom Cable was the best offensive lineman coach in the NFL, you lied to our faces. You lied to the Seahawks fans. You lied to every NFL fan watching that press conference. F. Tom Cable. I, I no. One of the things we talked about coming into the season was Mike Solari and the impact he would have on this team. The the turnaround of this offensive line is insane. I or Brian, you pushed some stats from Pro Football Focus, and I like referencing PFF when they confirm my priors. But basically, they said something like the Seahawks offensive line was like top five in you know, pass protection efficiency or something like that. Our red zone offense is number one in the NFL in terms of efficiency. Guys, this offense is good. Get used to it. This is a high-tech offense. Brian Schottenheimer has come to stay, and he has come to ball. We're going to the playoffs, boys. Get used to it. The talk isn't ending. (laughs) (laughs) The talk isn't ending. Well, you know – I uh, I love it. I think uh, <laughs> I think that that uh, part that I, I'm really curious about though is, um, you know, you got something like PFF who's who's got the Seahawks as number one. This offensive line's number one in the NFL since week three, since DJ Fluker started playing in in pass blocking efficiency. Yeah, you've got PFF ranking the Seahawks as the 28th best offensive line in the NFL. You've got Football Outsiders that's got Seahawks offensive line ranked number one or number two in power, which is like short yardage plays, uh, goal line plays, things like that. 
Um, you've got them ranking the Seahawks line as like 18th or 20th. You've got the ESPN who's got the Seahawks offensive line ranked fifth by uh, actually it might be fourth in terms of individual pass blocking efficiency and how they track for, for offensive linemen blocking for at least two and a half seconds. Um, or for up to, I think it's, yeah, something like that. And yet they've also got them as the 28th ranks, you know, team in terms of allowing pressures. So my eye test is that the Seahawks offensive line looks like one of the 10 best in the NFL. And I think that, that Mike Solari, if it was possible for an assistant coach to win coach of the year, I think that you could honestly make a case uh, for Mike Solari doing one of the most impressive coaching jobs uh, in the NFL. And, and I'm curious, I see Nathan smiling, which makes me immediately want to go and hear what you have to say. What are you thinking, Nathan? That would warm my heart so much. If, if Solari got coach of the year just for turning around the train wreck that Tom Cable had been for so many years, because I mean, there, you can't say it enough. Fuck Tom Cable forever. Thank like you, Nathan. Jesus Thank Christ, this team. Thank I don't know. You. It's gonna give me an aneurysm just thinking about all the people I had to argue with of whether Cable was good after they just churned out trash line after trash line, and surprise, that fucker is gone, and they know how to play football all of a sudden. Like Jesus, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I'm all aboard the, I, I think we're, I think we're, I'm being honest. I think we're, we're probably jumping ahead a little bit here. I think we probably forgot what Von Miller and Khalil Mack and I mean, they're very good players. So they, they get theirs, but we're maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves, but the idea of Solari winning coach of the year would be the greatest moment in Seahawks history. <laughs> can, we, can we highlight a certain player real, real quickly? Did you guys see DJ Fluker's interview post the Raiders game? That man is a badass, and he scares me. He legitimately scares me. F Aaron Donald. I'm not afraid of Aaron Donald with DJ Fluker. <laughs> he can bring it. That's, that's that's the mentality we needed on this offensive line, and we never got it under Tom Cable. Uh, look at the Raiders. The Raiders have been one of the best offensive lines the last three to five years. They, they looked – they looked like the Sal Webb offensive line in London, right? Yeah, explain that to Tom Cable defender Brian Nemhauser. Colden Miller, that was. <laughs> I would say that, that they're they're missing a few people, but but um, that's the handpicked Tom Cable left tackle. Oh yeah, like guys, if, if first of all, let's be really clear that the first person who wrote anything about and broke that Tom Cable had never had a pass blocking offensive line through his NFL career above the 20, uh, 26 rating is right here. So I, I am fully aware of Tom Cable's blind spots. And I certainly was not happy when they drafted Jermaine Effetti or any number of other choices that they made. I was even happy when they drafted James Carpenter. But I will not re-legislate because I, I like the direction of the conversation and there's no point in having a, a debate about defending Tom Cable. But... Yeah, I thought the, the the Raiders' offensive line was bad. The Seahawks have faced some bad offensive lines. The, the Cardinals' offensive line is trash. Like, I don't think the, the Broncos' offensive line is that good either. And yet, what the hell happened? Like, all of a sudden, they were like, 
shot out of a cannon. I don't know if they came out with a different uh, defensive scheme where they were like much more aggressive in their pass rush as opposed to kind of holding a specific position. I, I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But I mean, Frank Clark was a he had a huge advantage and he took advantage of of, of that matchup. But I thought Jacob Martin looked pretty good. Like he hadn't been playing. Rasheem Green, you know, he's been injured, but when he was playing, he wasn't making a big difference. Deion Jordan was playing uh, in the past when he was, wasn't making a big difference. Brandon Jackson and Jacob Martin, I felt like those guys took advantage of their opportunity to get snaps. And they made me feel like, hey, if, 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 uh, you know, Deion Jordan and Rasheem Green come back and they're not producing, Put them on the bench. Like I'd like to see some of these guys get get more reps. I think they've earned it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't get too excited and start making personnel decisions off of how you did against the Tom Cable offensive line. Like, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of true. Like that line with trash. Tom Cable is trash. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get ahead of ourselves too much. Like, I think they need to. They need to show it against a, a real offensive line at some point. And, and not that they've been terrible, but like this was a big concern for us all the way through the season up to this point. They played a Tom Cable line. Surprise, surprise. They looked good. Like, let's see him do it again next week. What did you guys think about Jaron Reed? I mean, here he is in the season. We talked about this a little bit on Twitter today. Uh, Nathan, you and Ben and I were kind of going back and forth at lunch. Um, you know, Jaron Reed, at least before this this last slate of games, because he was on bye, he was second in the NFL among the defensive interior linemen in sacks. He has four sacks now. Um, Geno Atkins was leading the NFL, but now Aaron Donald went off and some other guys went off. So he's farther down the list. But if you look at sacks and quarterback hits and percentage of pass rush snaps, um, Jaron Reed is 17th in the NFL. Um, in defensive and in, in interior uh, linemen and, and, and pass rush efficiency. So what's your take, guys? I mean, is this someone that, you know, he's not getting a lot of pass rush snaps. Do you think that he's a guy that the Seahawks should be looking at playing more often in pass rush situations? Do you think he's earned it? Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he reminds me of Brandon Meebane a little bit in that he's not super flashy, but – you know, he kind of does the grunt work on the defense. And, you know, thankfully, I believe he's only in his third year of his rookie deal. Um, he was selected, yeah, three years ago. Um, so the Seahawks don't have to make an extension decision on him for another year. And really, this year seems to be his breakout year. So before you start talking extension or anything like that, I think it'd be good to see another year from him. But I absolutely think, to answer your question, he has earned more playing time. He's getting most of it at this point, right? I mean, I don't know who the guys are that you have to make room for other than him. If, if he's not already kind of dominating the snaps or getting as much as he can do and still stay fresh, I, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So, yeah, I think he's earned as, as, as much load as he can handle, especially with the competition. Um, they don't have a lot of those. They don't have the Michael Bennett guys that can slide inside and stuff. So no reason not to keep him out there for as, as long as possible. So, Jeff, you know, I'm going to take us in a little bit of a different direction. So we're talking about Reed. I, I'm starting to find myself interested in re-looking at the recent drafts, right, and sure. how how these things are starting to rate. And, like, when you talk about – we just talked about Jermaine Effetti, who now is 
looking like not a complete bust at right tackle. Um, I think on the ESPN rankings, he was like, I want to say like 17th um, among tackles overall in pass blocking. Um, that was the first pick in the 2016 draft. Jaron Reed was the second pick. Uh, Nick Vanette was the fourth pick. Um, Quentin Jefferson was, uh, let's see, he was the sixth pick. Alex Collins went to another team, but you know, what do you think, what do you think the ceiling is for, for Jaron Reed? Is, is, is he potentially an all pro best player at his position? Is he potentially a pro bowler? Is he potentially just a, a long-term starter? What, what's the ceiling there? I don't think he has the pass rush ability where I'll ever be an all pro player. There's just too many like explosive dominant players at that position. He's competing with guys like Aaron Donald and, some of the best players in the league, but he's really taken a big jump. Year one, he was kind of a letdown. He was only really a run stuffer, and out of a, he's a guy they traded up for and kind of targeted. He seemed like a quieter guy who was supposed to be this like dominant alpha dog out of Bama. It seems like in year three, he's really come out of his shell. He looks like a guy who's going to be a building block on the D line. He looks like he's a long term starter for sure. I don't know if he'll ever be a Pro Bowl type of player because I don't think guys like him, similar to Mebane, I think Mebane's a perfect comparison of what his career could be maybe never ended up going to the pro bowl i don't believe in seattle because he's the kind of guy who occupies two blockers most of the time and most of the guys voting a lot of it's fan voting and they just look at stats and that's just not how it'll flash he's gonna he could maybe get a five to seven sack year at best but i think he's a great guy to build around and i think he's gonna be kind of become that alpha dog on defense with wagner and mcdougald and really become the player they envision. And I, I was talking to Jim Nagy a little bit. He used to work for Schneider. It's one of my favorite Twitter follows now. because so he'll just have these random tidbits about the Seahawks and players he helped pick. And he was talking about how they envisioned him as kind of that Red Bryant guy to just be the, the locker room leader, kind of like an old school ass kicker that just doesn't exist anymore in the millennial age. And it's taken year three, and he looks like exactly the guy they talked about on draft day and exactly the guy they envisioned after a kind of disappointing first year and a kind of average second year. So let's do, let's do a quick round Robin here. Um, you have, you have uh, one through five, um, five being uh, an all pro four being a pro bowler, three being a starter, two being a bench player and one being not in the NFL off the team. Um, Give your rating for these players, uh, where you project them, where their ceiling is. Okay, sorry, let me let me be clear. Not where you project them. What do you think their ceiling is based off of what you've seen so far? Jermaine Effetti. four. Four. So you see, I think he'd be a Pro Bowler. Nathan, where are you on on him? Uh, I forgot the the ratings already, but starter. Five is all pro, four is Pro Bowl, three is starter. Three. Three. Jeff. Three. Yeah, I'm I'm a three. Um, Jaron Reed. Nathan. Three. Three. Jeff, I think you just said where you where do you have him? Yeah, I'm kind of a three point five. Yeah. Three point five. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm starting to lean towards four with Reed. Like I think he's showing enough year-over-year year growth that I'm – and I think defensive interior alignment are pretty tough to come by. He may be heading in that direction. Let's 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 talk about the 2017 draft. Um, uh, Shaquille Griffin, mm. he's taking a step back. Uh, I see him as a three right now. 
Uh, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Where, Kevin, say more. Use your words. Three? You think he's taking a step back? I do. How so? I, I, I have not seen him uh, play as consistently as he did last year. Brian. Yeah. Jack Griffin. Dude's been balling. Five is his ceiling. He's an all pro ceiling. Wow. <laughs> Nathan. No, I I'm going to say four, though. I'm going to say four. Uh, I don't think he's got all pro in him, but I also don't like it. Wouldn't shock me if he pulls off like a six or seven pick year one year or something. I mean, again, he needs to learn how to look for the ball. Um, I don't think that's ever going to be natural for him. And so I don't think that that's why I don't think he's ever got that that all that's pro a fair criticism. That's yeah. A fair. But I do think he could have a year where he racks up some picks or and just being on this team, I think he could be a, a Doesn't roller. he already have like two picks this year? In one, yeah, in one like year. Ah, who cares? It's, it doesn't matter. Picks come at any time. They come in bunches per Richard Sherman. It's, I think that's true, actually. Jeff, where are you on Shaq Griffin? I think four is the ceiling. I think what you saw in that Bears game, that's kind of the ceiling of the dominant playmaking corner. But, Brian, I'm kind of with you. I don't think his consistency has been up to par this year for a second-year guy. But the more the way Pete develops DBs, I'm still thinking his ceiling's a four based on his just his skill set and his upside. Okay, so let's let's go with um, let's go on to Tedrick Thompson, fourth round pick from that year. Um, I I'm a three, and and to me, I'm, he might, might I, I might still be two and a half with him to be honest. I mean, if we're talking ceiling and upside, I can give him a three pretty comfortably. I, I'm going to plead a little ignorance on this one because I actually haven't had the time to just watch him much. Um, but he's been out there for a few games and hasn't made a fool of himself. Um, so I think three is in the realm of possibility. 3.5. Oh, wow. That's now, hold up. What in the world has Tedrick Thompson shown that would make you think he could be a pro bowler? What has he shown that you don't think he could be a pro <laughs> Like, make a fucking play again. Like, like he, he still needs to sniff a couple of balls, Evan. Has like, he given up any big plays, Nathan? I believe he's only allowed one reception on the season, and he also knocked out Brandon Cooks. Mind you, legally. Dirty hit. Wait, I think, he, I think that was a legal hit. I'm not Dirty sure. Hit. I was at the stadium with Brian. But <laughs> Hedrick Thompson has not, like – Come, come on. Like, Seahawks Twitter was all up in arms about him falling on his face. Like, they were convinced he was going to fall flat on his face, and he hasn't. He's been okay. Like, he hasn't made the big mistakes that I think everybody expected him to. It's, it's I think that's two that's games. Bad. They got torched by the Rams and played Derek Carr, who only could sh- throw left and behind the line of scrimmage. Like, let's calm down a little. <laughs> well, the next four games will, re- will surely test him with Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers, Jared Goff. Matt Stafford. Stafford. Yeah. 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 Well, Evan, Evan's glass of wine is half full. I think we should all uh, understand Not that. Not for long, I don't think. <laughs> um, uh, but you know what's really interesting uh, is that 2017 draft, you could turn it upside down. Um, the seventh round picks, let's go around them real quick. David Moore and Chris Carson, where are you guys at on their ceilings? Three and four. Oh, which one's a four? Carson. Agreed. Agreed. Do you think David Moore's ceiling is a starter? 
I mean, some of this is a little silly because there's a lot of like, there's a lot that like Jeff was saying, like, I mean, there's fan voting and stuff with that when it comes to pro bowl or like, I mean, can he be, I don't know. Like, I guess, I guess four and four. I do love David Moore. I don't know. Um, Above average starter. Probably. Pro Bowl yeah. is not whether they actually make the Pro Bowl because of the voting and all that stuff. Pro Bowl is they are uh, one of the best players at their position in the conference. Mm. Um, all Pro is they're the, one of the best players at the position in the league. Yeah, I don't think he's going to make – I don't think he'll be one of the best players in, his, in the conference. I don't know. And this He could go the way of Golden Tate, and I could feel silly about this, but I think that's still a lot to ask of him. Actually, speaking of receivers, I have a quick question for you, Nathan. Do you still regret, in hindsight, not paying Paul Richardson? Um, no, not really. Obviously, Moore's taking a big step forward. Um, I don't know with the Doug injury, but I mean that's that's pretty short term to think about it. So, yeah. no, not not really. Just was curious for your thoughts on that. Will I don't know. It would it would be really interesting to like rewind history and change things up where they keep Richardson and maybe I don't know whatever happens with Lockett like he plays a lesser role and to see how Richardson does in the same environment that Tyler's been in yeah um, I don't know that you wouldn't see Richardson do basically the same thing as Lockett's done so far. Fair. Lockett's making less money though, yeah. No, no, that he is this year, maybe more because Paul Richardson was five years, forty million dollars, eight million per year. Tyler Lockett was what three years, 30, per, million? Right? thirty million. He Tyler Lockett's making ten point six million a year. I don't remember if it's three or four years though. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the guarantees. Um, so, so you're you. I think we you talked yourself into four and four on Carson and more. Um, Evan, where did you say you were there? I was three and four with Carson being a four, but I think Nathan talked me into a four for, for David Moore. Jeff, where are you? I still think I'm a three with David Moore. I, after you kind of, I don't think he's one of the best players in the conference as a starter. I don't see that happening. As his I, ceiling. You don't think that's, you don't think that's a ceiling. One of the best players in the conference? No, I, that's that position. Definitely not. Okay. I mean, the thing with Moore is, uh, yeah, I'm talking myself into four more and more. If we're just talking pure ceiling, like he's, physically talented like crazy and he can like the way he runs with the ball is really impressive um and so if he can learn the and this is no small part of being a receiver right the 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 technique and and all the little stuff like that's a big part of becoming a great receiver and so there's still a long ways to go there but if you're talking what he's doing so far the raw talent the some of the stuff with the way he runs with the ball and that kind of stuff like i i, I don't think it's crazy to think for but i think that that's got to be a pretty small probability just because there's so many good receivers yeah so, so so stick with me for a second on this um so can we all agree that doug baldwin's an all-pro receiver even though he has not made the all-pro team yeah sure how many all-pros are there a year uh at wide receiver there's i think there's three i mean like the year that the year that he led the nfl on receiving touchdowns for example like he absolutely should have been an all pro and just didn't get it because of the volume late in the season and and reputation i think that was top three receiver yeah if you put him in a high volume offense i think doug baldwin has 1300 plus yards and 10 plus touchdowns every year well well no so, so let me yeah i don't disagree with what you said evan but 
to be clear about when we're talking about all pro, it's not that you're an all pro every year. Totally. Right. Like there's that, that's, a, that's maybe a level six, like Hall yeah. of Famer, you know, kind of thing. Even, even Earl and Cam weren't like all pros, like first team all pros. Every Earl year. the six. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I'm just saying even they were not always first team all pros. Uh, there's just a lot of competition at receiver. Like, yeah. Tony Brown, Adam Thielen, DeAndre Hopkins, like there's a lot, Julio, there's a lot of guys. Well, here's the thing. If you would have told me two years ago, Adam Thielen would be one of the best players in the league. I guess that would be like the case for more. That's kind of where I'm going, Jeff, is like, I think the ceiling for more is fine. Um, I don't think it's necessarily hugely likely that he gets there. But if you look at his trajectory from year one to year two, you look at his raw physical skills. I, I don't think people fully have, have grokked what he's capable of yet. I, I think that he is one of the best Seahawks we've seen in terms of physical um, ability to go up in the air and not just high point a ball and time it, but just rip it away from uh, the defender. Like he's got amazing hands. Um, I think he's a better route runner than most like amazing athletes are. He's, he's, I don't know if people really watched that play where Russell, like the ball, the, the snap was low and it hit the ground and fumbled. And then Russell like stepped up in the pocket and lofted it in the air to, to more for that touchdown. <laughs> more beaten his guy by like seven feet. Like it was like, wasn't even close. And there's been a number of plays like that where he's really running some really nice routes for a second year guy. I, I just wonder if we're seeing the very initial, like the cusp of what, is going to be a star being born. I, I think he's got the potential to be a star player. Um, it's, all, it, it's, it's a big stretch to get there, but I do think he has that talent. I, I think Chris Carson, I think the biggest thing I have questions about Chris Carson is whether they're going to give him the ball enough. That's, mm. that's my question. I mean, like, I'm, my son asked me today, should I start Chris Carson or Adrian Peterson this week in fantasy? And the only reason it, my answer was absolutely Chris Carson is because I'm terrified that, that Pete Carroll is going to look at Rashad Penny at the end of that game against the Raiders and say, okay, now it's time to get Penny, you know, um, sharing snaps with Carson again. Like, other than that, Carson to me has done, he's doing amazing things every time he touches the, every time he gets a chance to touch the ball. So um, I think Carson, I mean, no matter whether it's four and four or four and five or five and five, I don't know that we're ever going to see a better seventh round than what we saw from John Schneider in 2017. Like David Moore and Chris Carson are pretty amazing two seventh round picks. I'm doing um, a quick scan back through, and I think that that is a very safe prediction that that will be the best seventh round we'll see for a long time. I don't mean just Schneider's. I think that will be the best seventh round we will see from any team. I don't know. 2009, Nick Reed, Cameron Mora. This is true. I I I I sit corrected. I remember. Or I remember. Oh, this one's good. this one will tickle your fancy, Brian. 2008, Justin Forsett and Brandon Katu. I know how you like to draft specialists. Yes, yeah, Katu. Yeah. And I'm surprised that what's his whack? It didn't keep uh, Katu on the roster as a second kicker for for a full season. I think we can move on from there. I was going to take us through the the 2018 draft a little bit, but um, let's talk a little bit about um, 
what we want to see happen with um, these next four games. Like uh, Seahawks had a, a huge, huge successful game in, in Oakland or against Oakland. Um, now they're in a situation where I think that they might be good. I don't know if, if like <laughs> if that's where you guys are at too, but I'm now like, okay, this time this team might be better than I thought. And um, let's talk about their next four games. Um, we've got Detroit coming up this week, 10 a.m. game in Detroit. Then the Chargers. Uh, then we've got the Chargers at home, right? Um, and they're playing great football right now. You've got the Rams in L.A., and then you've got the Packers at home. Let's include the, the Panthers game, which is after that. That's five games, right? So they're at Detroit, home against the Chargers, at L.A., home against the Packers, at Carolina. Let's go game by game um, predictions. So, uh, Evan, at Detroit. I think it's a win, but I think it's a close win. I don't think you can predict them making the playoffs if they don't win the Lions game. Agreed. Does that change? Oh, I guess you picked win anyways. All right, fine. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a, I think it's a win, but it's a close win. Yeah. I'm gonna go with a win. I'm still not sure. I'm still worried that they're gonna have a dud here. But Pete's teams are usually terrible at those 10 a.m. starts, and I'm worried about that. And they're not great coming out of bye weeks, so. I think it's a close game that they squeak out. Nathan? Uh, so I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. To this point in the season, I've predicted when we go back and look Wait, at it. What? I just want to pause for a second. This is a shocker. Nathan is tooting his own horn. No. <laughs> Never have it. Continue. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty proud of the fact that I have so far predicted their record like the outcome of every game uh, perfectly. Uh, <laughs> I predicted they would lose to the Lions, and I'm really starting to think this is the one where I go wrong. Uh, I would feel a lot better about this game if it wasn't for the 10 a.m. cert. Mm. That makes me a little nervous. And I know that they just went to London, and they, they, they handled it better than the Raiders. Congratulations, Pete Carroll, outcoach John Gruden. I don't know how much we should pat him on the back for that. Um, I think they're going to win. I don't know. Yeah, I I agree with the assessment that they need – this is a game they need. Like, if they really want to be serious about the playoffs, they need it. Um, I have grown in, increasingly um, – I don't know if nervous is the right word, but I've, I've, I've lost confidence in this game. I, I, as of right now, I think I think the Lions win this game. I think uh, the way the Lions are playing and in Detroit, I think that that's going to be a tough one. Um, I haven't yet done my tail of tape where I can really look in more depth, but that's kind of where my head's at. Um, I think the Lions threw everyone off the scent when they beat the Patriots. And I'm not totally sure the Patriots are that good. And I'm not totally sure that they didn't get a little lucky with that. I mean, this is the 28th best team according to DVOA. Like, they they kind of feel a lot like the Lions team that Seattle trounced in the playoffs mm. uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I kind of can't shake that comparison. That's why I'm kind of leaning win right now. 
So uh, next game's uh, home against the Chargers. That's a game that that I actually uh, – I've got the Seahawks winning. I, I think that they might even get Joey Bosa back for that game. Um, I think the Seahawks are going to be a really tough team to beat at home. I think that they faced the best team in football a couple weeks ago in Seattle and should have won that game. Um, I don't think the Chargers are as good, uh, and I think that the Seahawks are going to be able to to win that game. Who feels differently? Nathan, you got a loss. Yep. Jeff, I see a hand raised there. Yeah. If that game is in San Diego – or San Diego, I'm sorry, Chargers fans. If that game is in L.A., I think they lose it. But since we have home field advantage, I think that's a, I think that's a toss up for us. No, you got to say one or the other, dude. No, I, I, I think we're winning that game. I'm, I'm saying like, if that game was in LA, I think we lose that game though. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. Um, so Evan and I have that as a win. I think we had three of three of the four of us had wins against Detroit at the Rams. There's no way we win this game. <laughs> There's no way. They won in LA last year. I've got to win. Oh, as like a trap game for the Rams? Is that the philosophy? I I think that I think that the I think the Rams did not like playing the Seahawks uh, offense um, in, in this game. I think the Seahawks gained a lot of confidence in that first matchup, yeah. and I think that uh, the Seahawks defense. There was a lot of mistakes that I think that they're going to be have been able to correct by then. They're going to have KJ right back. Um, we'll see if that helps. And I, I thought, I mean, the Rams were playing as good as any team in the league, and they could not leave the Seahawks behind. So I think that a run game travels, and I think that's a division game. I think the Seahawks are. I think the Seahawks are going to shock them. I think that's going to be the that might be the Rams' one loss all year. I think that they would have had a better shot at beating them in LA if they hadn't played them as well as they did in Seattle. Hmm. I, I don't think, uh, no, I don't know that they caught the Rams off guard, although I do believe that they were definitely saving plays and stuff like that. But I mean, if the Rams weren't taking them seriously before the, the there's no room for the Rams to not take the Seahawks seriously. Like they're going to be aware of what this team can do and that they played them tough once and they're going to come out and, and, you know, they're going to be ready for it. So I really don't see a win here. All right. So, so, uh, also, there's uh, a hell of a lot better team. Like, forget all the, you know, want it and grit and all that stuff. Like, their answer is way better. They're way more talented. They, they definitely are. And they're, I think they're, they're probably, I, I would say that they're mostly better coached. Although I think that, I was more impressed with the coaching job Pete Carroll did in that game against the Rams than I was with, <laughs> you know, what the Rams did with the same amount of ta- with the talent that they have. Like, I just think the talent gap between the Seahawks and the Rams is massive. And I think the Seahawks should have won that game, which is says a lot about the coaching um, that, that Pete Carroll's staff did. Uh, home against Green Bay. How could Green Bay? I can't figure out Green Bay. I don't think they're good. I don't think they're good either. Yeah. They're not. Their talent is average. I think they're a lot like the Seahawks, actually, in that they're going to be a really tough out if you have to go to Green Bay, and they're not going to be that scary if you're playing them on the road. Thankfully, they have no scary pass catchers out of Devontae Adams, so I'm not worried about anybody outside of Devontae Adams. So, you know, as long as we cover Devontae Adams, we should be good. I'd be a little careful with that. They don't have 
names and like I mean a lot of those guys are rookies and they're not that great, but like like he's uh, I'm I'm, ta- I'm talking tight ends too. They don't have any notable. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, Graham hasn't been very good this year, right? Or very productive anyways. I haven't watched him, but all tight ends have been pretty trash this year. Um, not yeah. a lot of production at that position. But I mean that 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 uh, Green Bay receiving core, while not especially good right now, is fairly talented. Yeah, I I just think they're a below average team across the board. I, I think they're somebody we can beat, especially. So, so do you guys have a, that all as a win? I do. Yeah. Yeah, with it being a home game. That's a, it's right. a Thursday night, so it's four days after that Rams game, but. It's a, those are so much tougher for the road team, especially got to cr- travel cross country. That's a yeah. huge advantage for Seattle. Do they the Packers in that game? Double checking. Do they play? They play on Sunday before, so it will be a, a four day turnaround for them as well, and they'll have to travel. So the road team has a lot of trouble winning Thursday night games. Um, Is yeah. it Kevin King hurt, or or did I misread that? Is he hurt? I thought he was. Um, I'll tell you in a second. I thought he had... He's not on the injury list. Okay, sorry. This was a couple weeks ago. He dealt with a groin injury. Um, Yeah, they definitely beefed up at defensive back in the draft, too. They got some really good um, corners uh, this year, especially. Yeah. Uh, And then last one is is at Carolina. Um, Carolina comes back, beats... Beats uh, Philly and Philly. Philly's, you know, on the ropes a little bit, three and four. Um, I, I, I don't know. That one's really hard for me. I want to say they're going to win because I just don't respect <laughs> respect the Panthers. But um, that's, that's a tough team. Uh, where are you guys at on that one? Loss. Loss. It's an Amro game. Loss. Jeff, I was ready to write off the Panthers, and then they had that second and fourth quarter comeback. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go lost right now. Okay, I think I'm going lost there as well. So for me, that's I've got them. I've got three and two over this span, which would have them be uh, six and five. Six and five. I think that's a best case scenario, and that's a good scenario. Where are you guys? Add up yours. Yeah. Um... I'm five and six. Yeah. Lost to the Rams. Yep. So you're six and five. I'm six and five. Jeff, you're five and six. Nathan, you're five and six. Five and six. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if if they come out five and six or six and five, I think that out of that stretch, then you've got two games against the 49ers. Um, I think you got a home game against the Vikings, which honestly, I think that that's a game you can win. Um, home game against the Chiefs is going to be tough, and then you got home against the Cardinals. So I think you've got four pretty winnable games there. If you end up, if you if you end up with five wins after this stretch, you're talking about nine wins, and you're you're knocking on the door of the playoffs. Interesting. Um, so it is time for everyone's favorite segment, which is uh, what we got wrong. Um, this is dedicated to Nathan, who who previously said he has not got anything wrong. Um, and I think it's a good place to start. Uh, Nathan, this can be, what did you get wrong this week? Um, what did you get wrong about this last game? 
What did you get wrong about, uh, you know, a specific player? Um, what's on your mind in terms of what you got wrong? I don't have a good one this week. I mean, I talked about it earlier. I definitely whiffed on my Raiders game prediction. I, I thought that would be a tougher game. I thought the Raiders would be a little tougher, and they they just smoked them. So, uh, but beyond that, I, I don't have. I don't think I have a good one this week. I don't know. You guys tell me. What have I been wrong about? Everything. Just kidding. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, well, when the Seahawks have started running the ball more, their offense has gotten more efficient. Ooh! Yeah, How do you respond to that, Nathan? Not exactly true. And <laughs> also... absolutely true. It's absolutely true. It may not be... It may be not the reason, but those two things are both true. They're running... I actually don't even know that that is true. Their DVOA is higher than it was before. If you have a different offensive metric, I mean, if you're just talking about like success rate, I don't know that their success rate has been. I don't know that that's true. Well, it's probably true. We can I, say it's true. It's probably true. I think it's probably true. Yeah. I was wrong about Frank Clark this year. Heading into this season, I was highly skeptical of Frank Clark assuming the full load with Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, and Sheldon Richardson gone. I was worried that he was not going to fill that role. I was worried that he was not going to be super productive. I was wrong about Frank Clark. I even had takes before the 2018 season saying that the Seahawks should trade Frank Clark. Those are takes I am not proud well, that of. that one's true, though. I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but that, that one's probably true. That the, the Seahawks – okay, well, maybe for different reasons, but yeah. – um, yeah, I guess we can talk about that later, but I was wrong about Frank Clark's production this year. And I think he's really absorbed this role really well. And honestly, I'm just proud of him. He's, he's a leader on this team right now. So I'm really impressed with him. Jeff, how about you? I have this totally irrational fear that Marshawn Lynch was going to just destroy the Seahawks and just make everyone laugh at them and have that Super Bowl play come off hundreds of times. And we have to hear about it again. And, I don't know. Saturday night before the game, I just had this vision of Lynch running all over Seattle and that game being a nightmare. And <laughs> they ran that idiotic play on third and seven where they gave it to Lynch and he got immediately tackled. And Marshawn was a non-factor in the game. He ran hard, but complete non-factor. And I don't know why. Maybe I just – I don't know why. All that story just scared me. And the defense just destroyed them. And a lot had to do with that Raiders line, but – <laughs> that fear was completely misguided. Yeah, I, I've I've got a I've got a long list. Um, I'll start with earlier in the season. I I talked about this being Pete Carroll's last year, and I think there's some other folks on this podcast that were not not uh, arguing uh, that. But I, you know, if he had continued making the decisions he was making in the first two weeks of the season. I stand by what would have what would have been um, uh, the result of of that uh, approach, but given the change that we've seen, um, I don't think this. I don't think Pete Carroll's in line to be fired. In fact, I think you could argue, depending on how this how this continues to play out, I'm not sure we're going to have seen Pete Carroll get more out of his roster, the the talent level of his roster, than what we're seeing right now. I think um, now they, they their wins have been against. Some of the lesser teams. I'm very much focused on the Rams game and and how impressed I am with how they played in that game. But 
Um, I was wrong. I, I, I don't think, I don't think Pete Carroll's headed towards being fired after this season. I feel like we're trying to have it both ways a little bit on the talent of this team. Like we just, we, we went through and talked about all these guys that had pro bowl and all pro ceilings. And we talked about the offensive line, how well it's played and Frank Clark and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then we also like, you know, we're talking about how, well, this team's not very good and Pete's doing an amazing job. And, oh my God, maybe Shotty's actually really good. Like we're, we're, we're playing both sides here a little bit. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, I mean, if even in the guys we were talking about, we're talking about their ceilings and a lot of them was debatable. What I don't think there's almost any that you guys were saying were all pros. Like the Seahawks had like seven all pros for the last four years or something like that. I mean, they're nowhere close to the same talent level. If you look at the Rams right now, they've got like, they probably have five to seven all pros on that roster. So like, we're talking about guys that maybe someday one year will be there. Um, and I don't know. I mean, we're talking about a lot of starter guys that fill around Bradley McDougald, who we've talked about as being maybe one of the best safeties this year. Uh, Bobby Wagner, who is perennially one of the best linebackers. Frank Clark, who has been great. Jordan Reed, who's stepping up and is maybe a top 15 defensive tackle. Russell Wilson, who's an elite quarterback. Uh, Carson, who's playing extremely well and, and looks super talented and, you know, there's the offensive line who's maybe a top 10 offensive line now. Like we're, I don't know. It, it, well, but at like, some point we need, to, and it's still early and I get like, we came in with some priors and, and they're out performing that and maybe it's coaching and maybe it really is the talent. Like we're still early in this and we'll find out. But right now, like we're, we're patting all the coaches on the back for hanging tough with the Rams with such a bad team. And then we're talking about how good all these players are and the ceilings they have and these starter level uh, players that have popped up around these perennial or, you know, these oh, look at, regularly look, good teams or look players. At, look at Jermaine Effetti year over year. Look at DJ Fluker when he was on the Giants versus here. Look at Bradley McDougal when he was on the Bucks versus here. Like, there's players that have sig- taken significant steps forward um, with this team compared to even where they were with this team a year ago. Um, sure. so you have to give coaching some credit for for that player development. Don't you? Sure. I mean, Jermaine Fetty was a first-round pick. Uh, Bradley McDougal was praised for being a steal when you know Schneider signed him a couple years ago. Like, but yeah, it's 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 fair. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think in in this case, we go around for sure. But we kind of will. We're kind of like denigrating like one side of it on the one hand when it helps us and then, you know, playing up the, the, the talent, you know, when we want to talk about, you know, that kind of side of it. I hear you. That's also kind of the fun of being a fan, but I, I, <laughs> I honestly think, um, I mean, if the Seahawks were like a 90 or 95 out of a hundred in talent, you know, during their stretch, like during their, their high point run from maybe 2012 to 2015, maybe, maybe, yeah, 2015 is probably when I'd end it. I think they're like a 65 to 70, maybe, Ooh, maybe as high as 70. Uh, I think they're higher than that. They're like an 80. Yeah, I'd have them 80. I don't see that. They got Wilson, Wagner, Clark, Dwayne Brown. Bradley McDougal, Shaq. Baldwin, Carson. There's a lot of. Russell Wilson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't see it that five is pretty low. Uh, yeah. I mean, at 70 is kind of where I'm at, but like, oh, okay. wow. 
Well, listen, what you're saying before, you may be wrong now, but three of the first four games of the year, like it's hard not to have that opinion. Those were three of the most ill-advised games from a coaching standpoint that Pete's had maybe in his whole tenure. And the Arizona game was awful. The first two games, they looked like a wreck with no identity. And three of the last four games, they've completely flipped. So I don't know how much you have wrong or just Pete's kind of figured something out here and Shoddy's figured something out. So I don't it, think you're it's wrong. It's still early. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still early. This, this is, we all kind of, I think we were all right in that eight and eight, nine and seven range when we walked through it. But like, they could very easily end up still in the, the six win range. And if that's what we end up at, like, again, barring some weird injuries and stuff like that, like, it's still. I, I don't know. Like, it's not that long ago that we were talking about how old Pete looked, and he really did. And I, you know, there, I saw some people on Twitter saying, "Hey, he looks more rejuvenated now," and I think that's fair too. But like, it, the, we're not even halfway through the year. Like, there's, there's, there's still time for this to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think there is. Uh, there's obviously time for it to go wrong, and there are things that could just fall apart from an injury perspective or something like that. But I guess what I'm saying is, I really believe in the formula that they're running right now. I think that it's going to play week in, week out. I don't think it's going to be one of those uh, situations where we're going to see the the team all of a sudden look good and then look horrible to the next week. I think they've got a formula that's going to play on the road, that's going to play at home, and it's going to play against any opponent. Um, And so I think they're going to be in every game. And I think with Russell Wilson, if you can be in every game, I think he gives you a great chance to win. But the problem with this whole approach that they're taking is that that's that's what they're trying to do is be in every game and even they could even just unluck like get unlucky and lose a bunch of those like sure you know year over year being able to win close games it's not really sustainable and they've consistently asked Russ to bail them out of third down situations and end of game situations and end of half situations and uh, even even if this team maybe is a you know, a good team or an, a team on the come or maybe even a playoff team. Like the way Pete wants to play and he's done this for a long time. And so, you know, he kind of has a feel for it for sure. Um, but they're not, they're, they're just one more Cardinals or there are a couple Cardinals, you know, Owen 10 on third down from looking like a real bad team again. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way. I mean, I, I, I get, I get why you're saying that. I, I think that 0 for 10 is the aberration. I, I think that you know, there's, there's 60, 56 percent on third downs in their other three games over that stretch, including against the Rams. Yeah, 0 for 10 is definitely the aberration. But like, if, if that 66 percent becomes 40 percent, what do these games look like, right? Because and I think 40 percent, 45 percent is more like the league average. Like, so that they. they they could regress here just back to a, you know, average or maybe whatever their true talent is. And and this team could suddenly look a lot different trying to play for these 50 yard field goals with Janikowski and stuff. Damn it, Nathan. I'm trying to convince people that I was wrong. So <laughs> um, let me be wrong. Uh, you were wrong about being wrong. There you go. <laughs> I was also wrong about Doug Baldwin. Um, oh yeah. I was actually going to say this one for me too. Go, go for it. I'll give it to you. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, this was one that I, early on in the season, I thought they should shut him down. After he re-injured himself, I, I thought he should they just shelve him and, and try again next year. But um, he looked, he doesn't look right. I think he's still probably like 80, 85% of Doug Baldwin, but that's still a very good player, it turns out. And I thought he looked good against the Raiders. And 
again, we'll see what he looks like against a real NFL team. Um, but so far, it's looking like, you know, he, he can be a, help, a productive and helpful member of this team, even if he's not going to be a, a star. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was going to have a single game like that this season. Um, and I certainly did not expect to see a game where he was going deep multiple times and beating players deep multiple times. Um, so he wasn't, he, I don't think he still is quite the same Doug Baldwin, but uh, I honestly just had no expectations for him this year about being productive. So um, I, I, he proved me all wrong, even, even if it was just one game um, that that happened. I'll tell you one thing I wasn't wrong about. I'm excited about George Fant at tight end. Anybody else? Come on. Come is this on. a permanent thing, or is this, like, temporary? Uh, I hope it's permanent. I haven't like Is this, like, a testing theory that they're trying while Will Disley is injured? Like, I, you know, are they are they still going to compete him with Jermaine Ifedi at right tackle in the future? Wait, wait, wait. With who? Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> Jermaine Ifedi. Uh-huh. I apologize, Mr. Jermaine Ifedi. No, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. If you're talking about beyond the season, I don't know. <laughs> Fan at tight end is, is a part of the plan. But this year, we might be getting the treat. of. I mean, he's he's actually playing pretty darn well, jokes aside. He's he's looking good, and I think it's giving him great reps um, being in the game. So uh, I, I've enjoyed that. Um. There's a few other things I was wrong about. I've kind of forgotten them now. But but uh, the the Doug one and the the Pete one are the ones that came to mind. Um, do any of you feel like Trey Flowers? Trey Flowers? Yeah, we we all thought he was not even close to ready to play. Um, I was a little wrong. I don't feel like I was a lot wrong on Trey Flowers. Like I I think that I didn't think he. He was ready to play, and I think he's shown that he's he is uh, holding up. I, I still am not convinced that Trey Flowers. The same way I feel about Tedrick Thompson, I'm I'm not convinced yet that so a serviceable starter. So what's the ceiling on Trey Flowers on that one to five scale? I'm still at a three with him. Yeah, I could maybe get to three and a half because he's shown some elite capabilities in the run, um, supporting the run. So at least that's something that's elite. But um, I haven't seen enough yet to say more than that. Why? What are you, Evan? I'm probably like a three, 3.5. I, I just think like and we've talked about this before on previous podcasts. He has built like this. His rookie year has been I what I believe a great foundation to build upon. You know, he's made he hasn't made the big mistakes of like giving up the deep ball. He's been containing, you know, throws and, and yards after the catch. Like, I, I really don't think like we, many fans expected him to fail. He hasn't failed. He hasn't fall flat on his face. He's been pretty decent for the Seahawks. And, and I, and I think there's only positive things that can come from here. So I, I'm impressed with him in his first year to be quite I honest. It's totally fair because I mean, we've, You've definitely seen some guys really like Jeremy Lane come out and just be abused um, at times. And uh, I haven't seen Tedrick and, and, uh, and flowers completely abused on a regular basis. So I'm kind of waiting for it. Um, I'm bracing for it, but, but uh, I haven't seen it. So you're right. You have to give him credit for that. Um, yeah, I think those are the, the main things that come to mind for me. Uh, like when we're 
we're talking about um, uh, Frank Clark and, and some of the pieces that are going on there. And I think, uh, Evan, you talked about being wrong there. What do you, what do you think is going to happen relative to his contract? Like, what, where are you comfortable now, given his level of play with, with what you'd pay him? Yeah, that's a great question. So I can tell you with a reasonable amount of certainty that I think the Seahawks are offering him somewhere in the 13 to $14 million a year range right now. And I think that is way below his market value, especially considering the franchise tag, which is like 17.5 or around that coming up this year, giving up or, you know, give or take like a few hundred thousand. But um, if you, I don't know if you guys read that article by Brady Henderson, um, Jeff pointed it out to me today where Brady interviewed, you know, the Seahawks beat reporter for ESPN interviewed um, Frank Clark's agent. And basically the whole summary of that article was that Frank's agent, it, Frank and his agent are not rushing to an agreement just for the sake of, you know, signing a deal early. Frank even took out an insurance policy in case he gets injured for any loss of value in this upcoming year. Um, I think Frank is really intent on maximizing his value in his shot at free agency as he should. And I think any one of us would do in his same position. Um, I think that, I think I do think that sometimes the Seahawks and John Schneider could get a little bit cheap and, you know, instead of job to be a little bit cheap and get players, you know, for cheap and under the radar and, you know, at a discount, of course, that's their job. But um, I don't think Frank Clark and his agent are going to take the debate. Now, if you came to Frank Clark with a, very strong deal with, you know, 18, 19 million a year with strong guarantees. I think his agent would consider him and his agent would consider it right now. But I think we're in the stage right now where the Seahawks are still lowballing him and may consider using the tag for next year. So Nathan, you talked about this before relative to Clark. You would trade him? If they're not going to pay him, and they're going to let him hit free agency, then yeah, I would trade him. I think they should pay him. Um, I think pass rushers are hard to find. Um, I think he's earned it. Um, so yeah, I, what I would do and what I what it seems like they're doing are, are different. But I, this is the same thing with Earl and the same thing with Bobby. And you know, I, you, you can't trade all your good players and even if it is the right thing to trade someone like you still have to make sense with like where your team is and like, what, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but for the most part, if you're not willing to pay your player, then you should trade them and get something long-term for it. Um, right now it sounds a little crazy because that's not what they've been doing. And they're a little, um, I think they're, they have their little depth poor, um, but if you start doing that and you start planning ahead and you start thinking, well, I'm going to let Frank Clark get out into free agency and then like hope that he doesn't get that, a, that a young pass rusher doesn't just get completely overpaid. I mean, you're fooling yourself. So yeah, flip him for, and, I mean, you gotta get a good pick, right? I mean, we're talking like for Frank Clark, we're talking a first round pick. Um, I think that's totally reasonable and, and I think they could probably get it. And so, yeah, I would absolutely consider that if I came to the decision for whatever reason that I wasn't going to pay him. Pay Frank Clark. This is simple. He's an elite pass rusher. Stop it. You, he, this is young defensive talent. You pay, per word, the words of Pete Carroll, you pay players that hit the ball or hit the quarterback. 
pay Frank Clark. Pay Frank Clark. Stop trying to be cheap. Pay him 18 to 19 million a year. If he hits free agency, that boy's getting 21 to 22. I'm not kidding. And it might be overpaying, but you if Frank Clark hits free agency, you are not getting him back. I'm I firmly believe that. So if you want him, be willing to pony up and pay him. I, I just think, you know, th- this defense isn't super talented. They've got some sporadic key players, but I think Frank Clark needs to be a part of your future. And I think it's somebody you need to pay for. And I think this is a team that can go cheap in a lot of spots. Like they found Bradley McDougal. They've obviously had great success getting cornerbacks, uh, you know, from the mid to late rounds. So, you know, this is a different conversation to me if we're talking about Shaquille Griffin or what they should have done with Cam or maybe even what they should have done with Sherm, right? Um, or what they did end up doing with Sherm and why that was probably a good call. But Clark is at a really premium position that, like you said, if he for, if it hits free agency, he's going to get paid an insane amount. And it's not a spot that they've had a lot of success drafting in. So I think the right thing to do is to pay him. Um, and I think that if you do extend him now, you will probably get him for less than what he will end up would have ended up getting in the free agency. See, yeah. I'm looking at it differently. I think you guys are misjudging the agent's quotes. And I think you have to understand the agent's perspective. I think Frank wants to hit free agency. I don't think he wants to take. And I found it very interesting the way the agent talked about the franchise tag. Because I think the Seahawks really want Frank. And I don't think they're lowballing him. From the agent's perspective, I think they want. They're looking at the way baseball agents looking. And I know this was a problem in the Russell deal. They've realized what happened with Kirk Cousins was almost an ideal scenario. And the way it said Frank, most players aren't like this. He kept talking about how Frank is willing to take the franchise tag, which goes completely against what most NFL players think. Most NFL players know how short their careers are and how know how risky it is, and they're not willing to take it. I think it's coming from the other side. They want to hit free agency, and I don't think the Seahawks want him to hit free agency. So I think – there's no scenario where he doesn't get the franchise tag. I think the Seahawks are way too thin at pass rush. I think based on those quotes, because usually in a negotiation from an agent, agents are usually taking swipes at a team. I've seen it so many times in the past. You see how Earl's camp handled it. There was a lot of swipes. These guys were raving about Seattle. Mm. You never see that from a team in a negotiation. Yeah. You never see it. An agent yeah, about a team and the way they grew up with Frank and took a chance on Frank, they would be going the other way if this was a hostile negotiation or if the Seahawks were cheaping out. Or I think the other side wants him to hit free agency so he can get his max value. And I've never heard someone just maybe other than Kirk Cousins' agent be so okay with the franchise tag. So I'm looking at it completely differently. Maybe I'm misreading the quotes, but that's how I viewed it. No, I think that's fair, but in you know. I think a franchise tag here, like uh, if it would have at least said 17 and a half million. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. And so maybe the impetus to trade him isn't now, but if Frank is determined to get to free agency at some point, you need to trade him before he does. Right. I mean, it may not be one where the Seahawks aren't willing to pay him, but there's just really no price that Frank will take. And, but I mean, you're effectively at the same price, right? If he is going to hit free agency, at some point, you have to get in front of that and trade him before he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was interesting. The four names he mentioned, the agent mentioned, were Ansa, Demarcus Lawrence, and Clowney. This wasn't a random group of pass rushers. Those guys are all scheduled to be free agents this year. And he said, Frank, metric-wise, is better than all of them. 
Yeah, I mean, not to to burst the the dramatic bubble, but there's zero chance that Frank's playing for another team. That's how I see it. <laughs> there's just no chance. Like the Seahawks are not going to let him go. He is. If he was if he's going to his third contract, then maybe there'd be question. But this is his second contract. The Seahawks have a track record. Schneider has a track record of signing players that have, um, be, you know, moved to one of the best at their position in the league. Uh, he signed them all. I mean, he signed every single one of them um, up until now. So uh, Golden Tate's the only one that I would say they let go in second contract. And we all know why that happened. It wasn't because Schneider didn't want to sign him. Uh, it was because they made that dumbass Percy Harvin trade. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're going to sign him. I think it's just a matter of when. I kind of was expecting to hear maybe something during the bye week because that tends to be when they they do get some work done. Didn't happen. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Um, but it will. I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Um, and, and honestly, they got enough money. They can pay him whatever they need to pay him. Like, and that's one quick point I want to talk about. The Seahawks have $66 million in cap space in 2019 and $120 million plus in 2020. Cap space is not an issue. Right. You may have a Russell Wilson renegotiation, renegotiation coming up, whatever. Bobby Wagner coming up, whatever. You have $65 plus million. You're totally fine. If you want to pay, pay Frank Clark, you can. And if you choose to extend Frank Clark, you know, he's not going to – the way NFL contracts work, just to put this in super simple terms, is if you're paying a player $18 million a year, you're not paying him $18 million a year in year one. Most NFL contracts have a gradual increase in terms of the cap hit. So they're not paying $18 million year one. He's not going to hit $18 million till like year two or year three. So it's not a cap space issue. Is that before Cam gets released or is that after? Wait, I'm sorry. What was that question? Is that – 66 million pre cam getting released or after cam getting released that is with cam still on the books for 2019 i believe but so i that's need another what eight million yes i god i don't know it's 2019 um really i know it's five million for injury um guarantees and dead money for 2019 but i don't know how much space that opens because obviously they're carrying him on the pup through 2018 and they're, then they're going to release him in 2019. So last topic, you guys got a couple more minutes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to throw a couple stats at you and, and then I want to talk about just how good this, you guys think the Seahawks team is. Um, so over the last four weeks, so after the first two, two weeks of the season where we, you know, saw the worst of them, I think, I hope, uh, so the last four weeks of the season, the Seahawks are number four in the NFL in point differential. Mm. They are number – they're ninth in the NFL in third down percentage, in third down conversions. They're fifth in red zone um, percentage. They're number three in rushing yards. They are number two in passing touchdown percentage. They are number four in the NFL in passer rating. They are number one in the NFL in turnovers, um, giveaways, I should say. Um, they're ninth, so they're ninth in the NFL in sacks allowed during that time. Um, how good is this Seahawks team? Like this, this team, not the first two weeks, but this team. 
They're a wild card contender. That's as much as they are. Does that mean that they can get to the playoffs? Is there is there kind of ceiling? Do you think that they can win a playoff game? How far can they go? I think they can win a playoff game if they can somehow manage to play the NFC East team. I think they could be a somewhere in the third to fifth best team in the NFC range. I think that's their ceiling. They could be playing in the divisional round. I don't. I don't think that's. Yeah, the I think that's the ceiling. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're going to reach the NFC Championship game. I don't think they're going to reach the Super Bowl, but. I, I think this team is a playoff or a wild card playoff team, and I think they could win a playoff game. Uh, I I fully agree with you, Brian. I think the I think the most encouraging thing about this Seahawks team is that they seem to have a consistent identity, and if they can keep that up, man, we could see some really positive things from this team. So I'm excited. Nathan, how about you? I mean, I think wildcard contender at best. I don't, I don't think they they have a, a long run in them or anything like that, especially considering that they're unlikely to have any kind of home field advantage in the playoffs should they even get there. So, yeah, I, I still have them 7-9, and 8-8. Eight eight. I, I don't think that they're going to get really that close to the playoffs, but it, you know, a game or two goes their way and they could be in there. But I, I don't think there's a lot of contention here. I think they're one or two pass rushers away from being a very, very good team. And I didn't think that coming into the year. Interesting. Is, is that where you guys think they're like, I definitely think the defense is where I have most. Um, that's what pass rush does. It negates the corner play. That's true. No, that's absolutely true. There's connection there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look at, I mean, putting it in, in real numbers, I mean, they are, 100, 116 is the passer rating over the last four weeks. Um, they're rushing for 157 yards a game, you know, four and a half yards a carry. I know you guys love yards per carry. They're scoring on 75% of their red zone possessions. They're converting 45% of the third downs. Um, they're averaging a nine point plus nine point differential per game, they're scoring 20, 25 and a half points per game. And they're averaging 7.3 explosive plays a game, um, where in the first two weeks they were, you know, about five a game. Um, I don't know. They're like I, I think everything you guys said makes sense. I think that is absolutely the most likely that they're they're stretching to get into the playoffs. I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked if we were talking in three or four weeks of like, holy shit, how did they just win those games that they had no business winning? Like. Just like Nathan, you were talking about that the, they're they're in every game and they can lose all of them. There is the chance that they actually are in all of these games against teams that aren't as good as the Rams, and that Russell Wilson and other players in the team find a way to win those. So I I, I don't know that that really changes their ceiling in terms of how far they can get in the playoffs. I don't think that they're obviously not going to win the division. Um, I don't think they're going to get a home field. So. Probably not, but it it does it is really interesting when you start thinking about where they're going for next year and what they're building to. I've been thinking that they were two to three years away from being a team that could contend. It does start to like I don't even know how to really diagnose where their gaps are that are going to really make them take a huge leap forward um, from where they are. It's it's I don't know what's real yet with this team. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a couple things here. 
They've beaten two of the three worst teams in the league. And they played the best team or the second best team in the league tough at home. And I think that we're, we've got a lot of perceptions being colored by that, especially with all those games happening in a row. I mean, the, we, we, there's this tendency right now to just throw out the Broncos game and the bears game. And I'm not really sure why, like, I know that they have played a lot different, especially on offense since those games, but those games happened and something caused them to not play particularly well in those games. DJ um, I mean, you changed their entire offense. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, man. That all that sweet. He's the player we're not talking about. I don't he's know. He's had a huge impact. DJ I don't know if it's sustainable, but that's been the difference. Guys, I don't, I'm not saying it's predictive of any measure, but I, I think that changed everything. Sweezy moving to guard, Posick getting out of there. We're talking about a, a journeyman and journeyman. I'm not saying it's sustainable for where Fluky, Fluker was at, at the, when Fluky, he came. That was a good Freudian slip there. <laughs> it, it very well could fall off right now, but that's been the difference. He, him, and Sweezy have changed everything. I would say it's I, I would say it's the way that they've approached the offense is different. I think Flukers are definitely making that more possible and more successful, but uh, they completely changed their game script of of how they're going about um, calling the game, and I think it's it's made. But that 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 new game script led them to need a last minute missed field goal against like the worst or second worst. I think they're. They're second worst behind the Bills in point differential. Uh, the Cardinals are like, mm. let's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, was... If we're starting to talk about like, uh, you know, Fluker being the difference and, you know, oh, their new offensive identity has fixed everything except that like they kind of, you know, look like ass against the Cardinals. Like, I don't know. I, I We we need more data points, I think. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think it's predictive. But I, I blame the coaches for that Cardinals game. They were manhandling them at the line of scrimmage. They should have scored in their first six drives, and they managed to not throw any play action passes or any deep balls the entire game. Yeah, I, I blame. The, I think the coaches were so conservative in that game. They, I almost throw that game out the window because it was so dumb. Well, and they didn't have Chris Carson. Mike Davis looked great in that game. It was, yeah, but they didn't have Chris Carson. Um, <laughs> but. But yeah, I mean, I guess Nathan, I I don't disagree with really almost anything you said. Like I I'm not at the point where I'm like, okay, this team's like great, and they're they're just gonna start steamrolling teams. But I don't think you can under I don't think you can overestimate or underestimate, depending on how you look at it, the Rams game. I really don't. I think that we saw the Rams play the Seahawks last year in Seattle and just completely humiliate them the way we haven't seen any other team do it. And they did it physically dominating that team. Like the Seahawks could not stop them. They could not do anything against them. It, it was just at the line of scrimmage. That game was completely over from the start. They lost. They gave up like 33 points. They lost. Like, let's not, I get it. They ran the ball and everybody like is super into that. I like watching the running game when it looks good too. But like, Let's calm down about this. Like they just trashed the Rams, but happened to lose. Like that was not 
they hung tough with a, a good team. I mean, get, going beyond that is getting really generous. Hmm. Listen, I agree. I don't know if any of this is predictive or any of this is even sustainable. The, I think they have looked physically strong at the point of attack, and that makes the job just so much easier for Russell. I, for years, what we've been saying about Russell, he just needs an offensive line. If he finally has one, that makes a big difference. I don't know. It might just comp- – these next four games, if they completely shift the bet and go in four, I wouldn't be surprised. But based on what they've seen, if you give Russell an offensive line, I think this team's got a shot. I mean, if you look around the league, like, who are some of the best teams in the league, right? Like, Rams. Saints. Okay, yeah, the Rams. The Rams, you know, had – they got played tough by the Seahawks, right, on the road. They also beat the Broncos by three. I mean, I know that was kind of a late last-minute thing. Like, I don't know they were really in too much danger losing there, but, like, close games. The Saints had that close game against the Browns. The Chiefs, if their ESPN page would load, I would tell you the close games that they've had. Uh, like, you know, the NFL is nobody just waltz through the season and, you know, while playing the Rams tough is good and like, I don't want to, and blowing out the Raiders is also very good. Like, we, we shouldn't discount blowouts. They're very good and they're predictive. But, um, you know, there's a lot of good teams that, you know, play tough games against bad teams. And I just wouldn't get too excited for many of this quite yet. Yeah, I agree. I totally yeah. agree with everything you just said. I, 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 I mean, I think that's all fine. I, I think you know, the last, last thing I'll say about it, I mean, the Seahawks, they put up the most points of any team against the Rams, you know, tied with uh, Minnesota. They um, held the Rams to, you know, their second least amount of points other than the Broncos. Um, so, you know, I, I think there there is some implication there that, that the Seahawks uh, were able to play them differently. I, I don't think it's just about that they hung tough. I think that the Rams are super fucking good. Like, they're, like, really, really, really good. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think – I've seen, we've all seen the Seahawks play the Rams for years and we've seen them play Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers and for years. And it's just been a disaster every time, even when they win, it's a disaster. It's so hard to watch. And that offensive line, the Seahawks offensive line manhandled the Rams defensive line. Like, I don't think that's still I don't still don't think that's been talked about enough how crazy that is. For even even if it was just on certain plays, there wasn't a single play in the last probably 5 years you could say that, you know, uh Seahawks offensive lineman pancaked and Dominican Sue. Like just not realistic. So I I do take more hope out of that because I think I, I trust physical skill like that to actually carry over from game to game. I don't think DJ Fluker is going to all of a sudden be weak um, the next time they play a, a tough team. I think he's going to help. If he can manhandle that that defensive line, I think that he's going to be able to manhandle a lot of weaker defensive lines. And I think the offensive lines can be able to do that. So I believe in a good offensive line giving you a chance to be a, a really good team every single week. So that that's kind of where 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 my head's at on it. Doesn't mean that. I guess the the, the key thing here is you know is that offensive line going to be around you know next year and the year after and and 
or is it DJ Fluke or a one-year fluke? You know, that that's kind of the, the question I have. Um, all right, guys, we've been on for a long time. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, any last thoughts before we uh, we wrap this bad boy up? Go Hawks, beat the Lions. Jeff, Nathan, you guys got any parting shots? Fuck Tom Cable. Boom. I second that. <laughs> I'll third it. What? Yeah, sure. It's real life. Good Lord. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And a um, couple quick things. One, please, God, vote. Whoever you're going to vote for, vote. Um, you know, uh, be a citizen. Do your, do your duties. Um, and then, uh, if you, if you haven't already sign up for, for, uh, Patreon, uh, P A T R E O N.com slash Hawk blogger. Uh, got a great community going, it's growing and you guys are a big part of it. So I'd love to have you on there, join the Facebook group, um, talk there. And, uh, as always, the proceeds go to a great cause. So, um, with that, have a great night. Go Hawks. Take care. <laughs>